I don't know if you're interested in growing, but I hope you are. And this is the right place uh, to be. We're in this series and um, it's a word, it's a theme that the Lord gave me for this next year. And that it is that we would, we would grow, that we wouldn't stay the same, that the seeds that have been planted in our hearts and our minds, the gospel growth would take place in our lives. And let me go ahead and just define the word. The, the word means that incrementally, moment by moment, season by season, we're getting a little bit larger, a little greater over a period of time to spring up, to develop to maturity. And, and that's my prayer for us, that, that we wouldn't stay the same, look the same, talk the same, but we would grow into the image of Christ. Colossians chapter one talks about how the end goal for all of us would be that we're that much more formed in, in maturing into his image. And so here's what that means. None of us have arrived yet, right? We all got a little bit more to, to grow. And we've been saying this phrase, it's an accountability phrase. Here it is. If you grow, we'll grow, right? Say it one more time, but I want you to say it to the person next to you, okay? Say, if you grow, we'll grow. If you grow, we'll grow. If you grow, we'll grow. We've broken that word grow up into four words. It's an acronym looking at the G stands for grace. We're growing in grace. We spent several weeks talking about what the grace of God is vertically and what the grace of God is horizontally, how God's grace comes down to us and then comes through us to others that we're, as the youth say, called to be giving, giving grace, right? We're giving grace, unmerited, everlasting favor from God. Praise God, we don't graduate from grace. We don't exhaust God's grace. We just grow in grace. And we need it, amen? His grace is amazing. We don't merit it, earn it. It doesn't run out. It's his grace that he, he freely gives to us. And we'd be wise to receive it and grow in it. Last week, we, we jumped into the R. The letter R stands for repentance. And I know everybody loves the word repentance, right? Well, we're changing our feel. We're changing how we view the word repentance because maybe your understanding of repentance is limited or maybe you've never heard of it at all or maybe you have, say like the Webster's Dictionary defines repentance as a, a feeling of sorrow or remorse for a wrong decision. But biblical repentance is different than just re feeling remorse. Biblical repentance, matineo, is changing your mind which leads to a change of direction, which also ultimately leads to a change of life. So what does it mean to repent? It means that you're thinking one way is the right way. You recognize by the grace of God that that's the wrong way. Oftentimes it's the three letter S word, sin. And we recognize that sin is not helping us, it's destroying us. And so you change your thinking on how you view sin and you turn away from it you change your direction and be, begin pursuing a new direction. That's what repentance is. And if you do it long enough, you'll realize your life is changing in a good way. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Does anybody, can anybody just help me that if you've experienced the fruit of repentance as a good thing, yeah. come on, make some noise for a second. Amen? Yeah. I, I want to just encourage everybody here to grow in repentance and, and see it as a good thing. Not a boring thing, not a dull thing, not a I have to, but fam, I get to. Yeah. In fact, what a grace that we get to. 
So I want to preach a sermon today that I'm titling. It's actually on my shirt. It's not today sin. Come on, say it with me. Not today sin. If you're going to grow in repentance, you got to adopt this mentality. Not today sin. Sin is creeping. Sin is crouched. Sin, sin, sin would love to take hold of you. The great reformer John Owen once said, either we be busy killing sin or sin will be busy killing us. So you don't want to have a casual relationship with sin. You don't want to be flirtatious with sin. You want to say, not today, sin. Give the peace sign, right? And so this, this phrase hit my heart this week as I was really thinking through it. And we were able to develop these shirts and some not today sin hats. And we'd love for you to go to the merch store and get some at some point um, if that works for you. It's a good reminder that every day, moment by moment, day by day, we need to be looking sin in the eye and saying, not today. You can't have me. I'm on, I'm on a better mission. And I, I believe we see this title on display in a story that's found in the Bible in the Gospel of John, that some of you may know of this story. Maybe you're familiar with it. Others of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. Wherever you're at, my prayer is it will be fresh for you today. It will land on you in a way that is fresh and transformational. Amen? Amen. So if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat. Let's eat. Father, we're, we're ready to eat today from your word. And God, we together as a family here in the room, online, we need your help. Come on, pray with me right now. Just ask the Lord, ask the Lord to help. Ask the Lord to give you ears and eyes to hear and see his word today. That's what we're believing for, God. So speak to us now as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're gonna pick it up in John chapter seven, starting in verse 53. And then we're going to read all the way to chapter 8, verse 11. All right, so 12 total verses. We're going to look at them, read them, dissect them. And I believe God's going to give us something fresh from his word. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right, look at verse 53. Here's how it reads. Chapter 7 ends quite abruptly and says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5, Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Verse 6 tells us they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. The text finishes, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. From now on, 
sin no more. Not today, sin. Jesus concludes this amazing encounter and moment by saying, not today, sin. I want us to go ahead and look at this uh, passage in this moment by um, reminding us of four things that we can see in the life of Jesus through this passage uh, and, and try to apply them in our own lives. What I like to do when I read the Bible is I like to find myself in the story. I like to use my imagination and not just read it, but I want to see Jesus. I want to see the people. I want to see the stones. I want to see this woman who's been dragged in front of Jesus. I want to see myself there and how would I respond? What can I learn from Jesus in this living and abiding word? Amen. That's what I want us to do in this title, Not Today, Sin. But before I do that, I just want to give us a a quick word of context when it comes to reading and understanding the Bible. Sometimes you'll see some little uh, moments within the scripture that require a little bit of attention. I just want to give it just briefly. You can see these two little guys right here. These are called brackets, all right? I found out what that word is, brackets. And at the beginning of verse 53 in chapter seven, you'll see some brackets. And at the end of verse 11, you'll see brackets. And the reason why those brackets exist, and maybe your Bible might even give you a little footnote, is because in the earliest copies of the manuscripts that are in the gospel of John, the stories of the apostle John who had recounted his time with Jesus in the earliest manuscripts found, when the Bible was being canonized, this story was not found in the earliest manuscripts of the gospel of John. But later, as they continued to piece together the New Testament, this story was on display in several of the New Testament copies, pieced in different places. So the Bible scholars and those who canonized the scriptures together deemed that this story did in fact happen, that it's valid and it is holy and inspired in a moment where Jesus did a miraculous moment and spoke and had this occur. It did happen, but where it's pieced and placed is not exactly sure as as far as being debatable amongst New New Testament scholars. Does that make sense? So scholars came together and in in the piecing together of the gospel of John, the most orderly way, they said, we really do think that this moment happened right here. In Jesus's journey, this is the place to drop it when it, when he encountered the adulterous woman and spoke this over her. But other scholars have come to find that this may have happened later in the gospel of Luke, but nonetheless, the story happened and we're looking at it here and that's why you find some little brackets. Does that make sense? Somebody say, keep going. going. All right, cool, there we go. So if you're wondering about that, email Pastor Mike. He's gonna give you more context and more commentary and help you understand that better there. It's a a God-breathed, inspired story. 66 books in the Bible, Uh, God wrote them all. He just used man to hold the pen. Does that make sense? Right? Breathed and inspired by God for our teaching and our correction and our growth. And that's why we're reading the word today and we're growing together. Amen? Okay. So a few things that we observe uh, from Jesus. The first thing that I want us to see is this. Jesus is not phased by our sin. I love this idea right here that Jesus is not phased. Jesus is here. He's teaching. He's already done quite a few different miracles. There's a lot of people around, right? In chapter two, he turned the water into wine. That was a popular moment. In chapter three, he was ministering to a guy named Nicodemus. Chapter four, he 
changes the life of the woman at the well. And now she's bringing all types of Samaritans to know Jesus. Chapter five, he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. Chapter six, right? He multiplies the bread. Jesus is a popular dude at this point. And so there's all types of people around. And what happens next is they break up the Bible study and somebody blows a whistle and says, everybody stop. This woman right here was just caught in the act of adultery. Whoa, this is bizarre. The Bible is kind of uh, dramatic at times, huh? And the text tells us that she just not only was caught, but in the actual act, we don't know if this was a setup. There's obviously some ulterior motives. Not only does it, if for someone to get caught in the act of adultery, it doesn't just take one person, but two. Come on, somebody. Where's the dude at? Where's the bro at? How come he's not there being dragged in front of Jesus too? Come on now. So there's some type of weird activity happening. And here's this lady and here's Jesus. And here's the people with the stones and they're ready to throw them. And Jesus is not phased. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't go, what are we going to do? I love that Jesus is not surprised I love that Jesus actually takes time to look her in the eye, look these people in the eye. And it's funny, whenever anybody tries to catch Jesus, they end up getting caught. Come on. When anybody tries to test Jesus, he ends up testing them. And this is another moment where, this is another moment where that happens. Verse five, the people say, now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, verse 6, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, what does this mean that they, they said this to, to test him? Well, here's why this would have been like a, in their fleshly minds, uh, maybe they thought this was a good test. Here's why. Well, because the Roman authorities had come into Israel and had become to take over the land in such a way where they began to import their own decrees and their own statutes and their own rules. So the thought was, if anybody were to be executed in a, in a sense of judgment that would require death, the Roman guards would do it. The Roman officials had to sign off on it. So you couldn't just kill somebody like that with a stone. The, the Roman authorities were no longer abiding by that rule. So here's these Pharisees and the scribes saying, if Jesus says, let's do it, the Romans are going to find out and he's going to get caught. But yet, if he doesn't say that, the Old Testament, he's not upholding. He's not staying true to the law. So we're going to catch him. And what does Jesus do? He bends down and starts writing in the sand. He starts writing in the dirt. Jesus isn't phased by our sin. He's not, he's not rushed. He's not scared. He's not thinking, how do I get out of this? In fact, he's using this as a moment to teach people about grace, teach people about growth, teach people about repentance. He's writing in the, the ground and uh, the second point of the message that I want you to observe from Jesus, not only is he not phased, um, but he knows, right? He knows all of our sin. So what does Jesus say to the people? He says, okay, how about the person who doesn't have any sin, throw the first stone. And then the scripture says he bent down and started writing again. 
Now, scholars debate, commentators debate on what Jesus was writing there. The Bible doesn't teach us what exactly he was writing. But Pastor Hyden's guess as to what Jesus may have been writing in, in the dirt there was I think he was writing people's names. And not only their names, I think he was writing their sin lists. Right? I think Jesus was like, oh, John? <laughs> and I think that person was like, oh, snap. Let me, let me just put this. Th-. And then he comes over here and he says, Danny, <laughs> come on, bro. You definitely shouldn't be throwing anything. <laughs> and then, he, well, I don't think he would call you Pastor Mike. He would just say, Mike, you neither, bro. Right? And then he was hiding, say, Nina. And, he, and I think everybody slowly started to be like, oh, snap, he knows. He knows what I was doing last night. He knows what I was thinking this morning. He know-. And Jesus starts to expose people in those moments. Here's why I say that. Let me look at the text with me. Look at verse seven and eight and nine here, right? Scripture teaches, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Jesus doesn't wait for anything to happen. He just starts writing down more names. Verse nine, but the text says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Now, why do the older ones fall back? They had more sin. They were like, yo, before he even gets to like my 20s, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> like, I'm gone, right? I don't want this problem. Jesus, he's not phased by our sin. He's not, he's, not, uh, he's not shocked. But at the same time, he knows all of our sin. And next thing you know, everybody's gone. What could Jesus have said, done, wrote that everybody who had this big energy, stone her, we caught her in the act. It's like, yo, how'd you even know? What? Right. Right. This is getting weird. <laughs> Are gone. And Jesus is left there alone with this woman who is deeply sinful, just like everybody else. The difference between her and everybody else is she happened to get caught up in this moment. And Jesus has an opportunity to do something. As he stood here, He said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. The third thing that I want you to see about Jesus in this text is that if there was anybody who met the qualifications to hold a stone to this lady, it was Jesus. Jesus says, the person who has no sin, throw the first stone. There's only one person that can match that. It's him. Jesus is the sinless one who has the ability and would be righteous and just to execute that level of justice there. And yet, in this moment, what does he do? He shows an immense amount of grace and he also declares the purpose of why he came. Now, if I were to ask you, what's the purpose of why Jesus came to earth? There's a lot of different reasons, right? Jesus would say, I came to seek and save the lost. First John says he came to destroy the works of the devil. All types of different things that Jesus came to put on display. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. But in this way, I want to show you that he, 
He didn't come necessarily to condemn people, rather to save people. Come on, amen? amen. Look at, I want, I want to show it to you in John chapter 3, verse 17. Let's go. Let's go to John 3, 17. I love it. 16 is amazing, right? But don't stop. So too often we just stop at 16. For God so loved the world. Yes, he did. That he gave his only son. Yes, he did. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. But friend, keep reading. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. Come on, look at this. Read this with me. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus, right? Just pause that real quick. Jesus is not coming on a condemnation mission. Why? Because people are already condemned. Jesus is coming to break up the condemnation. He's coming to pay for everybody's sin that's condemning them. He's coming to rise from the grave to show that he's a conqueror over sin and death. And for those sinners who would believe in him, now they will no longer be condemned, but saved by his life, death, blood, resurrection. He, we, he saves us from it all. Come on, amen. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. What's the judgment? The judgment is this. The light has come into the world. His name's Jesus. He's exposing things. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The question is, where are you at today? Do you love your darkness more than you love his light? The judgment is this, that Jesus has come into the world and we have a decision on what to do with Jesus. Do we choose our sin or do we choose him? Do we continue in this same direction or do we repent and turn from our darkness, turn from the sins in our lives, turn from the things that are ultimately holding us back? Can I just say to you today, the main reason why you should turn away from your sin and turn away from your darkness and turn away from your brokenness, the main reason why is because Jesus is better. It's not a I have to. It's a man, I get to. And he's so much better. I just want to tell all you here in the room today that maybe you're flirting with sin. Maybe you're, you know, you're just, you're getting, you're getting as close to the line as you can get. Just enough for the devil to just bump you right over, right? Come on. Don't treat sin casually. It'll bite you. And it'll hold on to you. Jesus will save you and hold on to you. Come on. And he, friend, listen to me. He's always better. On the authority of God's word, he's always, always better. And Jesus is trying to show this lady in John chapter eight, hey, I'm better. Don't, don't go back to where you came from. I'm better. My grace is better. My, my love is better. My mercy is better. My faithfulness is better than whatever faithfulness you've known of. And Jesus says, I've come here not to condemn you. I've came here to save you. That's why we can stand upon a verse like Romans eight, verse one. And believe it. What is Romans 8, 1? Come on, read it with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are in Christ Jesus. Come on. Who are in him. When you put your faith in him, you get adopted into his family.
You get moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so now, even if the devil and all of his demonic minions try to condemn you, you have a verse. And you say, hey, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's conviction because a good head coach like the Holy Spirit is going to be on your head saying, hey, we don't do that. I'm trying to give you a better play to run. Repentance. Bear fruit. Come on. Get back up. There's grace for that. Neither do I condemn you. Right, Jesus says. But he has a final statement for this woman that I think if we were to not read it, it would be incomplete. Can I just say, friends, I've heard this story on many occasions and I sometimes feel like the last part of the story gets left out. It might be up there as the main point. Are you ready? How does Jesus close this? He finishes with this statement and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now do not erase this. Jesus says, go, praise God. He says, go be free. I'm not, I'm not going to condemn you. You're not going to die here. But from now on, stop sinning. In other words, Jesus says, tell sin not today. From now on, when you wake up tomorrow, when you go back to your hometown, when you go back to your situation, you got to tell sin, not today, sin. You got to give them the peace sign and say, hey, I'm out. Not today. We can't continue in the same relationship. Jesus says, hey, everybody's got to be held to this responsibility of repentance. So let me put these four points up on the screen as I close. Number one, and praise God, Jesus isn't phased by your sin. So bring all your messiness to him. This lady was caught in the actual act of adultery and dragged before Jesus. That some, that's messy, amen? And yet Jesus isn't phased. So you're not going to surprise him with your stuff. But no, already catch this. He already knows all your stuff. And you're probably not that much different from all the other people from the last 2,000 plus years. He's not surprised. He's not phased. He knows he doesn't want you to throw stones or throw shade. But he does want you to come to repentance. Jesus is the only one who could condemn sin and, and, and he does condemn sin on the cross. Look at this verse with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake. Somebody say, that's me. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, Jesus took on all of our sin and by faith we took on all of his righteousness that's the doctrine of substitution where jesus is the great substitute puts himself forward and says no i'll go in their place and i'll be condemned on the cross so that they could be considered as righteous and so when we put our faith in jesus that's the gospel we believe in is the good news that we don't have to pay for our sins. Jesus has done that 
But this Savior who died on the tree, rose from the grave, calls us to now turn from the things that he died for. Don't continue to do the things that put him on the cross. Turn from those things and enjoy. Friend, hear me. I'm not, I'm not saying endure only a relationship with Jesus. Enjoy a relationship with Jesus. And walk with him and walk in repentance and grow in repentance. And when you fall, you grow in grace and go back to repentance and change your mind, change your direction, change your life. Amen. This is the gospel that we believe. I, I, I don't think, listen to me, walk church, hear me. I, I, we'll close with prayer. I don't think your biggest problem is Satan. I think your biggest problem is sin. In fact, I don't even know if you've ever even met Satan. Satan is a cre created, angelic, demonic being who's not omnipresent, omnipowerful, and omniscient. He's not everywhere. He, he's likely in the Middle East right now tearing stuff up. He's, he's, he's likely dispatched a bunch of demonic forces to try to invade Vegas and stuff like that. But, you know, this phrase popped up, and I'm not against the phrase. I think it's catchy. I think it's kind of cute. Not today, Satan. But say, your problem is your sin. Right. So you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, not today, sin. I know sin's going to try to creep up somehow, some way. It's already defeated at the cross. I'm going to walk in freedom and victory today. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you, God, that, uh, that we have everything we need in you. We have enough in you. Everything we need is found in you. Help us to believe that. Today, if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you right now in this moment to receive him. It happens by calling upon the name of the Lord, just like this woman did. She said, Lord. She called him Lord. She identified with Jesus as her Lord. And that was enough. Right now, I want to invite you to call him. Just say, Lord. I believe, believe you're the Lord of my life. I believe you're my savior. I believe you're my king. I believe you're my God. I turn away from my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe that you're my savior. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to say no to sin and help me to follow you by faith every day. Give me strength. Give me courage. Give me power to win the battle. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.